today. Football world shot by more huge leaks as Saints and Burnley let in another 10 goals between them. Meanwhile, all square for Arsenal and Liverpool. Newcastle get their first win and Man City already are in a league of their own. Massive midweek of Champions League action awaits us. We'll be talking about that, Uncle Jeff, short people and the number one 14-year-old in Paraguay in this edition of the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Siri, give me an example of a thrillingly eclectic and exciting Totally Football Show lineup. Woo! Come on down, Benji Lanyado from the Stop Hammer Time podcast. Hey, Jimbo. Hey, Benji, you're going to tell us why creative players are getting shorter and shorter. It's true. Woohoo! Strasvuitsi, Sasha Gurionov. Dobro utro, James. Fresh back from Canterbury, half Scouser, half Russian. All football knowledge, brain thing. Thanks. Yeah, excellent. And uh, you saw a lot of football this weekend. We'll hear more about that later on. And also, the original Sister of Mercy, Melissa Reddy, a.k.a. the Klopp Whisperer. <laughs> Senior football I like cor- that. Yeah? I like that. Senior football correspondent, Melissa, at joe.co.uk. And like Sasha, you were at the Emirates on Saturday evening for that cracking matchup between Arsenal and Liverpool. Enough of that, Rick. What a weekend. Home, abroad, just things happening. Do you want some numbers, Sash? Go on, James. Three teams still yet to lose. Now only one yet to win in the Premier League. Top three have more points than the rest of the league combined. That can only be a healthy thing. And it's also the first time in 40 years that three top flight teams have gone unbeaten in their opening 11 games of a league campaign. Wow. Only one place to start. Arsenal Liverpool. Melissa. Mm-hmm. It was a, an absolute ferocious blur of a game, I read. Did you enjoy it? I did. It was weird in a sense that it swung so much. I didn't think any team for an extended period of time had control or, or their design on the game. Arsenal started very well, opening 15 minutes. Liverpool could have had a period where they could have scored three, four. I think the draw, neither manager can complain about it really. Arsenal and Emery will be much happier with the performance because I think for the first time this season, you saw how much of an influence he's actually had. Arsenal were a lot more comfortable playing out from the back. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had intensity in their game. They were relentless. Uh, They did not give up as well, which is, you know, we've seen them do so many times previously. Sasha, did you enjoy this? I I enjoyed this. Um, I thought, in terms of not giving up, the crowd didn't give up either, which I think is very important. There were no empty seats towards the end, as they usually have seen in the previous years at the Emirates. And I think think perhaps losing Ganduzi to suspension was of benefit because I thought Torreira and Xhaka actually... You know, played really, really well in midfield. But I think from Liverpool's point of view, it's disappointing that they lost it out because after Milner scored, the narrative I had in my head is mature looking, uh, experienced Liverpool side will see this out against, you know, this new project. Uh, however, the ball from Iwobi was excellent and I thought uh, that Lacazette did remarkably well to keep his composure. What, what a finish that was from Because, from because you know, you're turning, the keeper I thought came, Alisson did very well to force him out, uh-huh. but effectively in one movement to turn around and to sweep it inside the far post, I thought that was excellent. Benji, what did you make of uh, Burnt Leno and then uh, James Milner with the opening goal? 
I think that Leno obviously could have done a lot better. I think actually generally Liverpool got really lucky. I, I think Arsenal should have won that game. Genuinely, I think Liverpool's back four defended really well because they had to. There was so little protection in front of them. And it's not just about uh, you know Mane and Salah not, not defending. If you look at the last five Premier League winners, they've all had a defensive midfielder sitting in front of the back four doing almost exclusively two things. You know, breaking up play and passing it onwards. It was Matic originally for Chelsea. Fernandinho's done it twice. Kante's done it once for Leicester, once for Chelsea. With Liverpool, you seem to share that responsibility among sort of three generalist midfielders, none of them really being a defensive expert. Hmm. And I've got to say, if Fabinho is supposed to be that, he's, he's not up to it. I thought he was really poor. What did you make of Fabinho, Liverpool fans? Yeah, uh, I agree with that assessment. A really poor game from him. He was coming off the back of uh, Red Star, playing against Red Star and, and Cardiff. So obviously the level of opposition has elevated. I think the pace of the game probably surprised him because Arsenal's intensity surprised everyone, really. Liverpool didn't start well at all. They did not press. They weren't compact enough. They didn't make Arsenal as uncomfortable as they should have done. I would disagree with the point that that Arsenal could have won the game and Liverpool should be feeling fortunate because they shaded the chances. Van Dijk could have had a a hat-trick. Mane had a legitimate goal disallowed. And in saying all of that, I still think that if Liverpool have these almost moments where it's just that final ball or it's one poor decision that's off in the final third, that's disallowing them from being that explosive unit that we've come to expect of them and when you look at games a season you can go back to Tottenham even look at the the Huddersfield game where they've got so many counter-attacking opportunities that they're creating but just not executing and when that comes, then I think we will see them revert to what we know of them. Well, in the meantime, you're only two points off the top of the table, so it's not too dramatic. Sasha, I know you want to talk more about Liverpool, but as a Liverpool fan, how impressed were you with Arsenal, given that this was billed as, as the first real test of this unbeaten run they've been on? I think Arsenal were very competent, and usually um, in, the pre- in the previous seasons with Arsenal, you, it was just more or less disjointed. But as Mel mentioned before here, when they pressed, they pressed very, very well. You could see that they've definitely been coached. And the two times they actually played it out the back all the way into the Liverpool box, I thought it was very, very impressive. There wasn't that panic. Leno looks better with his feet than Czech. And just overall, they seemed calmer and more composed than they have previously. Is Torreira the new Kante? Well, he's that ant in midfield that um, gets in the way, gets forward. He nearly an scored. Ant in midfield. An ant in midfield. Hard working. You know, he's kind of ties everything around him. He's not a big guy, um, but he's very, very, very committed and reads the game very, very well. Right. Um, and going forward as well, he had the chance after Liverpool up in the scoring. It. Possibly, possibly should have scored it. She went down through the middle, um, and uh, it's it looks like a very impressive um, project so far. And I think this is what um, sort of. This is why Emery looked quite happy in the press conference after the game because finally, you know, there was a sort of justification to what he's done after the opening two games in which they got they got beaten reasonably easily against the top six sides. Then they had the run of wins that went in the radar and finally this big test again. And, and they passed it quite well, I thought. So we should take them seriously? I think they should be taken as consideration and contention for the top four, yes. I think, and I know this might sound quite quite harsh, but it's not unfair to 
compare uh, this game with Man City going to Spurs a week ago. Um, both, you know, title contenders. But I think the difference in the performances, unfortunately, will, will probably bear out over the season. And again, going back to this point in the midfield, um, in that City-Spurs game, Fernandinho was exceptional. He was the difference. And whilst Liverpool seem to have solved your, your defensive problem to some extent with Virgil van Dijk, I still think you're one player short of sol- solving that, that midfield problem. Is that one player Jordan Henderson? No. Well, it's, it's, it could be a systematic thing because we have seen Fernandinho exposed before by Liverpool if you swamp that, that space. You have seen Henderson exposed before by Spurs when they swamped the, the, the space around him in the 4-1. So it, it, is, it is a thing of a system. And you, I mean, you had... So Fabinho on his own there in front of the defence and he had the two guys on the other side and I think it was a telling moment possibly 10-15 minutes into the second half when Fabinho tried to bring the ball out and I'm pretty sure it was Jaka and Torreira that both tackled him mm. and he basically just ran into, into those players who were pressing them very well and this is actually one thing uh, the point I was going to make Arsenal have it in them to play like this because the FA Cup final they won against Chelsea uh, when they absolutely smashed into them. There's no other way of describing it. They have that intensity in them. And this perhaps now we have the right coach to actually get this out of the players. Mm. The other thing they had as well, and considering how attack-minded that lineup was, was organisation. And I think that was the most impressive thing because when you looked at the team sheet, you thought to yourself, oh goodness, this could be anything here because they're going to give Liverpool the opportunity to counter at will. How are they going to protect their own offensive movements? And the two in midfield were, were sensational at doing that and also at disrupting everything Liverpool tried to do in midfield. But And Klopp singled out that position, but as a three, Beyond. not just for Bino, because, yeah, the, it wasn't compact enough. There was no cohesion between them. And they were making it a lot easier for Arsenal to play through. And he changed the formation in the second half to solve that. And Jim, but I know it sounds like a sort of first world problem, bemoaning not having enough you know, midfielders, but Man City are making it so that you have to be perfect to beat them. And you, you look at Man City's starting eleven, and actually most of their second eleven, they're all exceptional. And as a neutral watching this game on Saturday, it was notable that there were definite imperfections in both sides. Arsenal are not going to go anywhere near winning the league with Rob Holding at centre-back and Xhaka. They're, they're, they're not good enough. Although well, Xhaka was much better, no? He was, but he, he is not a world-class player. You could argue that the vast majority of Man City's starting eleven are all world-class. Would it benefit then everybody else if Man City just went off and started a Super League with seven <laughs> other teams? Absolutely. Well, similar <laughs> Dominating Sounds like Liverpool leagues. would have gone with them. <laughs> yeah, well, possibly so. Hey, well, hey, maybe we'll chat about that in a second or two. Uh, Liverpool, meantime, will be heading off to Belgrade uh, with, uh, to take on Red Star, who they beat 4-0, if memory serves, a couple of weeks yeah. ago. Sasha, how do you actually say their name? Trevena Zvezda. Trevena Zvezda. Trevena Zvezda. Which okay. means Red Star in, in, in Of course in it Serbian. does. Trevena Zvezda. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Man City beat Saints 6-1. The defining image of this encounter for me that moment, I think that was 3-1 where City essentially held a kind of keep ball exercise in Saints' penalty box. Extraordinary. Um, Saints' commitment to defending in this game for me was just... What do you do? What do you do? What do, but you, you can do a little bit more, can't you? Or you, am I being unfair? You, you are getting absolutely swamped in the first, whatever, 15, 20 minutes. They're 3-0 down. And the guys are just so much better than you, and they're constantly dragging you out of the position. I, I feel a lot of sympathy for the Saints. I know the discussion last there was like they should have pressed them better, and this is what they didn't do right. But 
you are getting destroyed by players who are head and shoulders above you. In any walk of life, in any job, if you're faced with that, I think there is an excuse for your head to go down a little bit. Manchester City have the ability as well to confuse you. Do you press high? Should you be playing deep? Do but you when man they're there mark? in your own penalty box, it's pretty clear what you need to do. Isn't Speed it? of thoughts. I know, yeah. And you, you obviously you don't want to go in. You don't want to concede a penalty. You actually, this, they're swarming you. And to be fair, that moment when you're watching it, you're thinking, "Come on, you've got to do better here." Mm-hmm. But when you're watching City and their incision and and how sharp they are in, in practically everything, their their rhythm rhythm of moves, you're just thinking. Those Southampton players may have well been spectators like the rest of us because that's what they essentially were. They looked like the primates at the start of 2001. A Man City were kind of the obelisk and they just didn't know what to... They couldn't conceive... Sorry, Benji. I I thought Southampton were horrendous. There you go. Everyone's being very nice about it, but no, they they were awful. They did score, though. At both ends. That's true. But I, I heard an interesting interview recently with Matthew Etherington who played under Hughes at Stoke. He said two things of note. He said, one, Mark Hughes is a really unapproachable guy, he's, you know, which sort of adds up. He's permanently prickly. The other thing he said that was interesting is that he barely ever coaches defence. And maybe that was because he inherited a Pulis side at Stoke. But you look, you look at the way Southampton played yesterday, you're like, hmm, yes, this, this maybe adds up. And, you know, playing 4-3-3 away at City, amazingly naive as well. I thought it was a disaster, the whole game. To be honest, before that game kicked off, I expected 4-5 for City automatically. Off the, off the bat, I don't think Southampton have been good at all this season. But, but just by virtue of the fixture, City at home... Guardiola's been drilling this relentlessness into them. Do not let it slip. He wasn't ex- he wasn't happy at all after that result. He, he pointed out all the flaws in their game, and so when it was unfolding, it was no surprise to me. City batter you to the point of you just don't have any will to do anything anymore, and I think that's what happened after the first eighteen minutes. They've done it to Liverpool in the Champions League quarterfinal for forty five minutes. Liverpool, all they could do was just retreat into their own box. I've seen it with my own eyes. It's, most, it's the scariest thing I've seen at football, I think. Um, and here, you, I mean, even if Southampton had the right back for the first goal, Sani would have just accelerated past them. This is another thing that the City have, change up of pace. It could be passing, passing, passing. Suddenly, everyone go, someone goes off at 100 miles an hour. How do you defend it? I still think you can lose to City and come away with their heads held high. And, and, and Southampton, can de- you know, they can't do that after yesterday's performance. I think, honestly, if it carries on like, carries on like this, they're going down. Just on the subject of Southampton scoring, Wesley Hoot with the own goal, that's his second of the season. But the one at the right end was the Danny Ings penalty, and that ends a goal drought of 505 minutes. Followers of Duncan Alexander, by night known as uh, Oily Sailor, will know that he's keeping tabs on how many shots it will take Southampton to reach 50 goals this season. With this latest uh, data in, he estimates 1,129 but that in perspective, last season, how many shots did they have in the entire campaign? 657. 450. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, that was Man City and their massive win over Saints. Chelsea beat Palace 3-1 to move into second spot ahead of Liverpool on goal difference. Dangerous time of day to be playing a football match, though. Four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, Benji. Eh? Yeah, I fell asleep in the first half. Uh, but I woke up to to see Townsend equalise, and, and and the game was briefly fun actually. Um, interesting stat from this game is that David Luiz has now played more games this season than he did in the entirety of last season in the league for Chelsea. Oh. And actually, it, 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 they've very quickly gone from three at the back to four at the back, and that back four being completely settled now, I think, is helping them a lot. It's giving them the confidence to to go forward and. 
And um, Palace, again, sort of fought gamely, but every time I see Palace, you realise just how much of a one-man team they are. Um, Zaha is everything in, in, in that team. Take him away and they are in a world of pain. And I'm also not sure in the current Palace team that sticking Zaha up top is the most optimal solution because I think he's better. He's more threatening coming in off the left. So I think you either change the, change the formation, but you need Zaha on the left. They need an Alvaro Morata who scored in his fourth consecutive Premier League match. Ooh, that's one more than in his previous 23 appearances in the competition combined. It's exciting. Uh, Spurs, meanwhile, moved back into the top four with a 3-2 win away at Molyneux. What can you tell us about this, Benji? Despite Spurs winning, I was, I was really impressed again with Wolves. Um, really weird stat, that Neves penalty was the first time that he's touched the ball in the opposition box all season. I'm sorry, touched say that again. Touched the ball. Oh, wow. In, in yeah. the opposition box? Yeah, the penalty, which he scored. Right. So it shows you how drilled that, that team are. Um, the, the other thing I was really impressed with was Morgan Gibbs-White, yes. the youngster. Um, English, again, it, feel, it does feel like in a very short period of time, England's problem with greater central midfielders has gone from famine to feast. So going into the World Cup, we were talking about John Joe Shelby being, being the best we had in that position. Now there's, there's four or five players there. Uh, Ross Barkley has found himself again. James Madison's another one. Harry, Harry Winks, maybe. Phil Foden's been talked about a lot. And Gibbs-White, he looks really, really good. So yeah, exciting times at Wolves. Mm, he did look sparkling in his, his 28-minute cameo. Is 28 minutes too big to be a cameo? I don't know, but the pass to Costa was absolutely jaw-dropping. You know, it's like a moment in the game, go, oh, and then you go, oh, when he missed it. Uh, but I th- also making you go, oh, was one uh, Foyt. Yeah. yeah, poor decision-making there for the guy who's just been called up to the Argentina team. Is that right? Yeah, for the so upcoming... This was his, was yeah. this his league debut? He was league debut. He played in the League Cup, didn't he? Yeah, and against your lot, Benji, and he was very good by all accounts. Fourth, he put in one incredible challenge in the game, yeah, okay. but I'm slightly baffled by him. It's maybe Argentina don't have many decent centre-backs. Must be oh, I think that has to be the problem. <laughs> That's the yeah. problem, yeah. Okay, and he contributed Wolves... Well, the penalties that led to Wolves' two goals in a 3-2 win for Spurs... Uh, Wolves getting their third defeat in a row. Spurs next up will have their fourth game in nine days when they host PSV Eindhoven in the Champions League. Unbelievably, we're going to have a little sting before we even approach the whole question of Europe. Introducing Paddy Power's Beat the Drop. We're giving every customer 30 days free entry and a grand up front. It's up to you to keep it. All you have to do is answer 10 questions correctly. Play now at beatthedrop.paddypower.com. On Spotify, smart speaker, and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Bubble Show from Muddy Knees Media. Champions League rolls around again. It's match day four, Tuesday and Wednesday. I'm sure, there's going to be a lot of comment with these fixtures coming around about the notion of a European Super League, which of course raised its head again, courtesy of the. WikiLeaks, the football WikiLeaks, football leaks. What's the correct title for this? Football leaks, football isn't it? Leaks. Football leaks, uh, whose latest set of revelations included allegations that UEFA had basically gone very, very soft, had done a favour for nefarious reasons uh, to PSG and Man City over FFP, and also that seven clubs were about to walk off and start up their own league. Um, there was I mean, there's a huge amount of headlines, not not surprisingly, because there was some very juicy stuff in there. To an extent, though, Sasha, Melissa, Benji, was this stuff actually not that surprising, particularly the Super League stuff? I mean, it, it came about at a time when UEFA were looking at reforming the Champions League 
and as such, it probably served a bit of a purpose. Well, sounds sounds like it did. Sounds basically like it gave them some sort of a bargaining chip or whatever. Would the UEFA give us more money? And from this season, UEFA has given them more money. Mm. So more places, more guaranteed places for yeah. for the uh, top four. Um, so yeah, I mean, not surprising at all. FFP again. There's been a lot of talk about it. So, Melissa, what's your take on the FFP? Yeah, neither element of it was surprising. I think the the level of detail that they provided that was the the interesting bit when you saw the email conversations and such. Everyone knew that PSG and and Man City were massively overstating their sponsorship uh, incomings, and everyone knew that the penalty that they had to pay was not in conjunction with the measurement. Le- no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the Qatar Tourism Authority sponsorship, which they put down as 200... I mean, we've all done this a little bit when you fill out an insurance form or whatever. They put down <laughs> 240 million. It was reassessed a, a market value of 3 million. Absolutely. that That is staggering. Um, and the way they've negotiated down is basically the antithesis of everything financial fair play is in what in what other w- walk of life can you negotiate down a penalty it uh, seems it seems very odd that that you can actually go and bargain about how much you need to cough up at the end of it as your corporation paying tax they, well, they tend yeah. to say well we'll just a bit you know what you can spare no you're right why are you registered <laughs> yeah and yeah. and as roma's twitter account so uh wonderfully pointed out it's only the big clubs the super clubs that are able to do that and, and get the benefits off negotiating if you're a smaller club and you get and you just you know four million over what you're supposed to have spent there is no concessions or or anything like that you you do get a massive 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 slap on the wrist mm. but at the same time i suppose maybe that happens at different levels of football just to a different extent i mean you had the ffp in the championship and clubs like uh, bournemouth and leicester going up and their fines of only several million compared to how much they actually earned by getting in the Premier League. You could argue that they were not symbolical, but not commensurate either. Okay. Well, uneven playing field, though it takes place on, the Champions League returns Tuesday and Wednesday. Dortmund, Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Inter, Ajax, Bayern, Man City and Juventus can all go through this midweek. Others can already exit in the next few days, Benji. I'm talking about teams like Benfica, Monaco and... Tottenham Hotspur, one meagre draw from three games. They must win at home to PSV. Which game most excites you coming into this midweek round? You're doing one of those faces like, I'm not bothered, Benji. Melissa, are you excited about the Champions League? What? I am. But then I'm paid to be. <laughs> yeah, traditionally and, and naturally so. Uh, Let me fire some fixtures at you that you're going to note. How about Atletico Madrid, who were taken apart by Borussia Dortmund, will be hosting uh, the, what were the, the yellow and blacks at the Wanda Metropolitana. That's going to be a fascinating game. Dortmund featuring, of course, uh, Jaden Sancho contributed another assist this weekend. All right, you're not, you're not thrilled with that one. How about ooh, Juventus Man United? That's a biggie. What about Schalke Galatasaray? Well, they had a mass brawl, didn't they, at the weekend, Galatasaray? Galatasaray, Fenerbahce. What, do you, what else do you want to happen in the match? Well, actually, there's something that you really don't want to happen to in a match. A 20-year-old Fenerbahce fan uh, died of a heart attack. Oh, no way. In the stadium prior to the game. Uh, so at halftime, Fenerbahce fans um, all walked out. Uh, so actually, they missed a uh, Fenerbahce comeback in the second half because uh, they were 2-0 down. And then Valbuena... Uh, converted the penalty and Jalson uh, got a really lovely equaliser and then at the final whistle 
there was some sort of dis- disagreement. Jalson slapped uh, Belhanda and So this is when they're out. going up to kind of shake hands Yeah, and stuff. it's like literally after the final whistle. They're going uh-huh. up to each other. Maybe something was said. It's not quite clear. And... Uh, it just ends in those uh, farcical scenes which you expect with Benny Hill music. 30 people chasing Jailson. Who yeah, <laughs> ran off down the tunnel and, yeah. got, and then got a retrospective red card for it. I love the idea that at the end of an Istanbul derby, you don't go and shake hands, you go and slap, <laughs> slap everyone on the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> and these are emotional things. I went to an Istanbul derby a few days before the Champions League final of in Istanbul. Fenerbahce got that's right, it was something. And Fenerbahce won the league that um, uh, the league that night, and yeah, those those were some emotional scenes. But uh, the uh, emotional scenes at the Fenerbahce Stadium on Sunday, because it was the funeral of the fan who died, and Ali Koch, the uh, chairman, was carrying his coffin, and it was all sort of quite emotional. Wow, yeah, I'll say. Other games that may interest you, Melissa, include Liverpool's trip to Belgrade, which won't sadly feature anything like this. <laughs> That's the noise of Jordan Shakiri making his way downfield at great pace to knock Serbia out of the World Cup. But he won't be featuring in this, Melissa. Why? Liverpool took the smart, safe option of not including him in their travelling squad because they expect and they've been told that there will be a lot of hullabaloo and a very hostile reception for Shakiri in Belgrade. They don't want it distracting from the game. You know, Jurgen Klopp's going to have his press conference over there and the entire pre-match focus will be on Shakiri. The entire match coverage will then centre around how many times he was booed or was stuff thrown at him or, or, you know, was there a reaction when he came off the bench or, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then post-match would be the same. So it would be a basic rundown of Jordan Shakiri in Belgrade rather than Liverpool going there for a Champions League game. A Champions League game which occurs in a group in which they are one point ahead of Napoli. Red Star, what's Red Star called again? Trevena Zvezda. Thank you. Uh, are on one point, so it's Liverpool six, then Napoli five, and uh, PSG on only four. PSG must make the trip to Naples. They had a, another win, Benji, by the way, PSG. They beat Lille, who were in second place. That was last Friday, 2-1. Napoli uh, played on Friday as well, and they put five goals past Empoli. Hat-trick from Dries Mertens. So uh, it's going to be a sizzler, that one there at the San Paolo in Naples. Uh, Spurs, they're currently bottom of their group on one point, along with PSV. Barcelona on nine points. Inter on six. Inter hosts Barcelona this Tuesday, that one is. And Messi's in the squad, but they're still not sure if he's going to play. Spurs in some trouble in this group, but you know what? If they win this game at home to PSV, and if Inter lose to Barcelona which certainly on the basis of the first match you'd think is entirely possible. All of a sudden, Spurs will only be two points behind Inter with the Nerazzurri yet to go to Wembley. So, you know, the, the group is still there for I mean, them. it depends on league positioning, but then Inter would still have to play PSV, who are the weakest team in the group on paper. Um, I mean, we'll see how this game goes, but hopefully mm. no Lloris um, means that there'll be slightly less erratic at the back because, to be honest... Larissa's decision making over the last couple of seasons has just been it's not worthy of a Worse top class. Worse than Lopetegui's. <laughs> they should probably sit in the room somewhere together and discuss yeah. discuss their choices. But the way he rushes out in the Champions League is mad. And it's not that he's just rushing out, it's a poor decision making because there was a very key moment early doors against Cardiff when he should have come for a ball that was eventually I think, cleared off the line and he stayed on his line. So there's clearly issues with decision-making and judgment. It seems to ramp up as well when it's a game of, of magnitude yeah. and substance. The, the rush of blood just mm. seems to affect him more. I do wonder, with, when somebody wins the World Cup, 
you know, you're the captain of the World Cup winning team. You, you lifted the, the trophy. What's your motivation? What, you, don't you just sort of think, oh, I've, I've just completed football? No, like, I, I, do, I, I, do you not think the intensity might drop a little I, bit? I, 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 I think, for, no, he, first of all, he's been making mistakes for a while. Second of all, I'm pretty sure when he was lifting the World Cup, he was thinking of the goal he gave away. And I think, I think for a goalkeeper, those sort of things tend to prey on your mind. And once you make one mistake, I mean, the, the important psychological thing here is to, once you make a mistake, get it out of your mind. This is what Van Dijk does so well. Yeah. He makes a mistake during the game, forget about it. I think with Lloris, it's, it's there in the loop on his head. Is it the curse of the World Cup winning goalie? Because Casillas... After he lifted the trophy, his form started dropping pretty quickly thereafter. That's interesting. Any other um, any other components of this kind of did his off lift thing? Uh, who, which other? So if we go back, uh, Buffon did pretty well after winning that. Uh, did his off lift it? Zoff left it. Oh, yeah. But Zoff was already really old. He was 40 old. at the yeah. time. So. Wow, there you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Norris's Dropped issues precede the World yeah, Cup. He's, he's yeah. been making right, poor yeah. decisions for, I think, seasons, two or three yeah. seasons now, yeah. Um, producer Ben wants to be cheeky and ask if Maurizio Pochettino could still end up winning the Champions League this season, even if Spurs go out. I think I know what you're saying there, Ben. Well, I'll just you leave mix. that one there. <laughs> no one's going to touch that. Let's turn then instead to Man United, who, yes, must travel to Turin to take on Juventus on Tuesday. We'll be back to talk about that and so much more after this. Juve beat Man United 1-0 at Old Trafford. They'll be hosting them again this time. Five points clear of Mourinho's side at the top of this Champions League group with Valencia two points behind Man United and taking on young boys this midweek. So a chance for the Spaniards to move past the Red Devils should the result not go Mourinho's way. Based on what you've seen of Man United lately, Benji, how confident are you about their chances in Turin? Well, not at all. It it, it feels like all of their recent successes, so the the comeback against Newcastle, the draw at Stamford Bridge, beating Everton at home... Even even the the game this weekend, they f- they felt like a s- series of, of isolated incidents rather than a chain of events. And actually, still, the most telling game over this period was the complete non-performance against Juventus, which I think completely exposed where this team are in the scheme of things. The reality is, right now, they're they're Man United are marginally better than Bournemouth, and that's it. It was the first half at the Vitality I've seen described as their worst half of football so far this season. Is that fair? Yeah, they stank. And and, and Mourinho came out saying, "Oh well, they 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 didn't get they didn't start quick enough." And he, was he also said he was the luckiest manager in, in the Premier League not to have lost that game, which you know was nice of him. He talks a lot of nonsense these days, though. And actually, he's that's one of the problems is that back in the day, Mourinho teams he you know Mourinho would talk the talk, and then his teams were going walk the walk. And now there's this massive disconnect because he was basically saying it's not my fault they didn't start quickly because obviously. I, I told them that every single press conference with with Mourinho or interview can basically be deconstructed to give me more money for more players every single time and, and, and this was no different Bournemouth were really good though I think I, I love watching Bournemouth how come life. they didn't win because they didn't quite put away the chances Brooks was brilliant interesting thing about about Brooks who's becoming sort of one of the stars of the Premier League season he's another one that got away for England he's English he was born in Warrington um, he played for England under 20s before being snaffled by Wales he did the same thing with uh, Ethan Ampadu mm. um, he, he's from Exeter Zaha is another one that got away. I think it's why Southgate's trying so hard with Declan Rice now because they, they don't want to make the same mistake again. Mm. I think it's it's just worth sort of maybe um, staying on the point that Bournemouth are very, very good in the first half. I think Eddie Howe called it his best first, one of his best worst first half since they've gone up. Um, and I think what we're seeing this season perhaps is Bournemouth making that next step. Um, so I think now that they feel a bit more comfortable in the Premier League with a bit more investment now, perhaps they can sort of maybe 
have a cup run, concentrate on mid-table, finishing somewhere mid-table, and also concentrate on playing this attractive football, which you can just enjoy without the fear of maybe that they might get relegated. So I think the talk of how going somewhere else is perhaps, again, a little bit far-fetched because his current working conditions, again, you know, it's a very comfortable for him. He can do what he wants. Uh, and I think in that first half against United, you could see what he can potentially can do. Comparisons with Guardiola from his own players, but the way they played against this very, because this big, slow United team in that first half, I thought, you know, it's remarkable that the guy can do so. And again, I think it shows what can happen if you give a guy a few years and you let him develop his philosophy. Based on this game, which of these two teams would you invite to a European Super League, Melissa? Bournemouth. I'm I'm a massive Eddie Howe fan and a, and a Bournemouth fan. I thought the first half was a wonderful snapshot of the contrast between two teams. One with a clear identity. Um, they're completely in the habit of their all their mechanisms. They don't rely on individual moments or, like Benji rightly said, you know, some little burst to happen they work really hard for what they want to achieve and and it's quite clear in their head what they want to do and how they want to execute it all they missed was that decisive edge in the first half they should they should have been out of sight I think Mourinho admitted that they should have been you know 4-1 or 5-2 up at that stage and and Eddie Howe was right it was it was a remarkable performance to watch from them because they were so aggressive in and out of possession and they they made United look so average, but so many teams have done that this season yeah. and United just have pulled it out of the bag. It's it's interesting to note that all of them are now starting to say we're slow at the beginning and, and we need to reverse that. But it, but this is now a continual trend. If, you can't you can't started, keep you if can't, they started with Anders Herrera, would that help? I don't know what would help because there is, like we say, no identity. So you don't know what you're actually looking for when you watch a Manchester United game. You don't particularly expect them to start with great intensity or to or to press really hard. When they played Tottenham, actually, that first half, I thought they were superb then. Mm. That was possibly, for me, their, their best showing of the season. And the, the point of them not starting well is, I think, because they allow the other team to, to set the tempo, to di- dictate the terms of the game. And then they do rely on, as the game progresses, to then you know conjure some sort of, of magic moment, often enough recently from Anthony Martial. But then again, that's not coming from combination play or a specific tactic that's been worked on. And Mourinho has spoken a lot about you know how much they've been doing on the training ground. I don't think we've actually seen any of it. And... <laughs> <laughs> that is the manager's responsibility. What's Man United's thing? You know, fight, the, fight. I think, is that I think it? Like, Just like be, be, be big and bruising and aggressive. I mean, is that is that's that's not enough anymore? Well, it, like in my memories, I mean, the the one time I seen United close up this season was at Watford, and that was exactly what it was. It was a fight. They were up against the big side, and they fought. And Mourinho was really happy that they fought, and then they fought out for a win. And then Lukaku tackled back in the 89th minute, but that was like his thing. And it's probably not enough for United. And mm. there's more, more evidence that United may well be on the wrong side of history with this um, in their, their reliance on big guys. On the opposition team, little brilliant Ryan Fraser, um, who is he's maintained his position in the top five chance creators in the Premier League. Only Willian, David Silva and Sigurdsson are ahead of him. Um, and as this was touched upon on Match of the Day, um, the top 10 chance creators in the Premier League, so behind Fraser is Hazard, Madison, Anderson, Moutinho, Seri, Salah. Um, their average height is five foot eight. 
So the and you know and you compare that to to what Man United are doing. It's completely different. You know, I don't know whether this is the pepperfication or maybe you know it precedes that. It's the David Silverfication of of the Premier League. Benji, Billy Hush must be loving this because he he wrote in saying I watched Rude Hullet's analysis of small players last time. I'm afraid I missed that. Uh, then I flipped to the MLS playoffs and saw for the first time Maxi Morales of NYCFC. Wiki says he's five foot two. Is he the shortest player active in pro football? How Not expecting Jovinko? you to answer that, but he's certainly. How tall is Jovinko? I, I think he might be 5'4", okay. or 5'3". Fraser's 5'3". 5'3", is, three. Five three, is yeah. he, right, Fraser? Yeah. How's yeah, Shakiri? He's a tiny little chap as well. I think he's about 5'6". He just looks like, mm. like, like a small guy. But I, I think nice, a nice thing about Fraser, he, he beat Liverpool, not quite on his own, but two years ago he came on out of sort of nowhere. I think he came on as a sub, and Liverpool lost the lead at Bournemouth, and Bournemouth won 4-3. And I think... Um, to get to a stage where we're now, sort of seeing his progress over the last two seasons, lifestyle, you know, coaching, etc. So he doesn't need to deal his pizzas anymore after the matches. And I think it's great to see that he came from such a humble background and now he's a key part in a team that's really taking uh, United on and being better than United. But Benji, you were just appreciating the little folk. Yeah, and and I mean, I've kind of done my bit. Oh, we did. Uh, well, what was the conclusion? Because completely, not sure this is this is nonsensical. But people but, who are small can also play football. Well, but no, <laughs> actually, small people. Actually, <laughs> actually, Jimbo. Yeah. Um, there's more robust findings here because if you look at the top ten most creative players in the Premier League last season, right? So that was De Bruyne, Eriksen, Fabregas, Hazard, Ozil, Shakiri, Sanchez, Goodmanson, Townsend. Their average height was five foot ten. So it's dropping. Creative Premier League players are getting shorter. Wow. Isn't that big? Is it all the running they do, do you think? <laughs> Who knows? R- Richard run themselves into the ground. Yeah. Hey. Interesting. No, but that, that, that's okay. So basically, it's dominated by small people. I d- if I think of a number 10, like or that kind of classic creative position, I do think of a small player, don't but you? But we went yeah, through a naturally period. Naturally diminutive. I yeah. think, well, I think we went in the noughties. So, so, you haven't had a tall. Maybe Ibra could play in that position. Well, Lampard, Gerard, they were both six-footers. I mean, they're not... A, not playmakers in not the natural sense. But they were sense. definitely chance creators. I think, I think yeah. m- maybe, you know, back in you know the era where Mourinho was king, generally speaking, players were quite a bit bigger. You didn't get... Well, he's a, got a big side now, as you point out. Juve have got a big side too. True. Mm. And they and they don't seem anywhere near as sluggish as United. You're right. You can see all of those Champions League games, you know where, or you can watch a selection of the best bits from all of them, almost as it happens, on the Goal Show. What time is it on? Uh, yeah, actually, it'll be on early Tuesday and Wednesday because mm-hmm. the early games. Uh, Melissa, I know you'll be excited by the news. Meh, though you are about the Champions League as a you know as an entity right now. But we will have Monaco's uh, return leg against Bruges as our opening clash on Tuesday. Of course, Thierry Henry still looking for his first win. Monaco lost at Reims this weekend. Still only goal difference, I believe, keeping them off the bottom of Ligue 1. But it'll uh, be interesting to see what Monaco can do in the season quarter of football that is the Stade Louis II. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because Thierry Henry made his home debut in the Champions League in October 1997. So now to take his first home game... Right. In you know for Monaco, he played for them. Years, yeah, twenty-one so. years later, quite something. Obviously, not the best position to be in because they are under pressure. Uh, I don't think anyone expected him to come in and you know make an immediate massive impact. It will take time, but I think he, you know it's going to be quite an emotion, emotional experience for him and occasion. Um, Monaco play good football, so hopefully we'll see a good game. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Benji, 
What a terrific time you had on Saturday when you went to the London Stadium, home of the football, to see... <laughs> home of London. Yeah, effectively. That's what we're going for with that, it's awful. Uh, West Ham 4, Burnley 2. Yeah, weird game. Did, did you guys watch this? I listened to it from the outside. Of course, you were playing football outside, weren't you? Um, Sasha was actually on the pitch outside the London Stadium, and he would have heard. Yeah, he would have heard in the first half. It, it was actually it was it was a showcase of some of the progress that we've made this season. So uh-huh. Diop had Vokes in his pocket, and Diop, by the way, I I reckon he's probably better than Rio Ferdinand was at the same age. He's excellent. Um, Snodgrass was playing really brilliantly. It's one of, it's one of the the sort of more unlikely stories of our season the, the renaissance of Robert Snodgrass uh, Arnautovic up front doing his thing generally being a sort of horrible bastard but yeah he, he's so evil oh, he's did you see brilliant. what he I did to Paul I love how evil player. he is yeah. I love him as a player yeah, but... Uh, do you know what? There was no needle between them before. It's just bizarre. He's I had just, to go back and watch that again. But that's like, kind of his thing. He's a villain, you know. So basically, he nicks the ball away from uh, Tarkovsky. Tarkovsky's a bit slack. Scores and then comes back and what, laughs in his face? Or did he yeah, shout Yeah, it was horrible. Again? It was but really mean. He's into you last season. He goes, well, I don't know why everyone hates me. <laughs> No, he he feeds off that. He's I think a he's, he's he yeah, but he's decided that's going to be my thing, and it does it does fuel him. Like, and actually, West Ham fans love a bit of drama. You know, there's, there's there are sometimes whiffs of Decanio about him. But anyway, the the first half, if it, if it wasn't for you know a terrible penalty decision by the referee and one of the best goal line clearances I've ever seen from Ben Mee, Ben Mee, oof. unbelievable. But we should have been three 0 up, and then suddenly, bam, Burnley score with their first chance of the game, and then in the second half. Everything I've just described sort of happened all over again. We'd completely dominated. Diane Garner, this kid that we promoted from the, the academy, was causing trouble. Anderson, who was brilliant, scored a goal. Mm. And then Burnley again, bam, they, they score with more or less their, their second chance of the game. Benji, uh, at the end of it, have you turned the corner again? So, this was your first win in what, five, six? After y- your last little good yeah, spell. Who knows? So listeners to the Stop Hammer Time podcast will be familiar with the Uncle Jeff coefficient. Uh, which basically you're looking at me anyway. No, okay. Well, Sasha's got his aunt position, and you've got the uncle chef. <laughs> basically, you compare the exact same games from one season to the next. Yeah, so, okay, that makes. So sense. rather than just saying after ten games, it's after the equivalent games last season. Right. Yeah. Same fixtures last year. Exactly. And what happens if you've played a promoted side? You replace them with the relegated sides in order. This was developed by my uncle Jeff in his garage. He's a, oh yeah. 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 He's um. Is it like a workshop there or what? He, yeah, he's a TV repairman, but he he does oh, I see, he does um, yeah. football. He's 77, so he, but he does football statistics as. In fact, we should introduce him to Duncan Alexander. They can do sort of a whiteboard session or... Bingo. Anyway, so I'd be interested to know, do you think West Ham's Uncle Jeff coefficient is currently positive or negative? Uh, positive. Positive. So are they doing better than they did in the equivalent fixtures last year? That's, That's the question. Jimbo, yeah. uh, I think they're doing better. It's zero. <laughs> it's, exactly oh, it's exactly the same. the same. And this is very West Ham. Everything changes at West Ham, but it also sort of stays the same. Since moving to the Olympic Stadium, we are constantly oscillating between you know crisis and recovery. And yet, and yet, Benji, I put it to you that it was this specific fixture last year against Burnley where it all went wrong with people running on the field and barracking the poor old Davids and nasty, just nastiness all over. Whereas on this occasion, you come away with a massive 4-2 win. So clearly everything's on the up and up. It's on the up. I wouldn't say it's on the up and up. Like it does feel as if we are playing some really good football. Anderson, You've got Felipe really... Anderson these days. Yeah, he was great. I mean, the fans have actually been on his back a little bit because we we are we are not Liverpool. We can't afford for our wingers to do no defending whatsoever. And so in games when we are, I'd like un... to refute that statement because Liverpool's forwards are exceptionally hard working. Well, no, actually, oh, was that right, Melissa? Yeah. You're, yeah. You, do you know what? 
Melissa, you're completely right. And, and Anderson isn't that guy. And when we're up against it, he can leave you quite exposed. Is but it he's got big hair. There's a lot of talk that big hair leads to fans not taking you seriously. Possibly. Either way, in this game... He was fantastic. He, okay. he he's he's he has got everything. And um, the big hair thing, yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's right. David Luiz, maybe Ethan Ampadu's following. Yeah, Ethan Ampadu. Remember the last time a guy would? Yeah. Anyway. Um, well, no. I mean, that's exactly it. Yeah. Okay. That was an amazing day out and an amazing report on. Thanks. On your day. Quick but, note on Burnley. Yeah, I mean, they're a shambles. They are, and I think that you know West Ham have improved in order to store to, to stay still. You know, and I think that is one of the stories of the Premier League. You have to improve just to stay still. You look at, you know, Spurs haven't necessarily improved. Southampton certainly haven't added to their squad. Burnley haven't added to their squad. Their Uncle Jeff coefficient is minus eight. So, is that right? Yeah. You so, looked that up? I, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they they are very much stayed the same. And it feels like the Premier League is leaving them behind a little bit. Yeah, I bet it does. All right. Thanks, Benji. Also this weekend, let's see, Brighton dressed up as the Republic of Ireland for their trip to Everton. Didn't work out too well for them, that. Surprisingly, they lost uh, through. Do you remember they were, they were basically wearing... Come to see them. Could you not? Against the green of the turf. Yeah, it was quite, actually quite, quite difficult. You had to mm. concentrate. A 3-1 win for Everton. Two more goals for Richardson, who, yes, has already scored more this season than he did in the whole of last campaign. Everton have now recorded four wins in five. Cardiff... Lost at home to Leicester in what was a very emotional win for the Foxes. They've now flown to Thailand for the funeral of Vichai Shinodanaprava. Uh, how wrong we were to doubt Jack Lang. We scoffed at him. We laughed quite openly at his notion that they were going to start winning matches just because they were going to be taking on uh, sides like Watford. Uh, Watford did them a bit of a favour by some woeful finishing. I think they had 16 attempts, only one of them on target. Newcastle go above Cardiff now. I think one thing for Newcastle is only six teams have conceded fewer goals than them. So I think six teams have conceded fewer goals. Yeah, so top four and plus uh, I think Wolves and Watford. Mm-hmm. So like in my head, I can see sort of this good defending perhaps getting them out of there. From the further shores of football, we bring you news of the rest of the world. Listener, let's start with National League South. How are Dulwich Hamlet getting on, Benji? They're doing all right, and most importantly, they are, they're back in their stadium. Well, not yet. They will be in a few weeks' time. Yeah, we were delighted to hear that news. Equally excited to read about their 1-0 win over St Albans in the National League South. First time you've been up in that division in 110 years, is that right? Yeah, that's right. The last season, the, the, the season in which Pickfair sponsored them, uh, was their promotion season. There's no coincidence whatsoever. Well done, Pickfair. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, well, quick note on that. Yes. Um, uh, Tracy Crouch, a sports minister, mm-hmm. who well was re- until recently. Anyway, it was it, um, Tracy Crouch, Harriet Harman, and Helen Hayes, both Labour politicians, were pretty instrumental there. The club pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed, but it was the poli- it was those three politicians who actually got the developers and Southwark Council more or less locked them in a room and wouldn't let them out until until um, the the situation was, was resolved. And Dulwich Hamlet are now back in their ground with a much better deal than they've ever had. So yeah, really, really good news from from Dulwich Hamlet. And actually, just quickly, uh, because they've been locked out of their, their stadium, yes. our stand wrap, the toilet's opposite stand yes. wrap, is still up from last year. Now, they need, they're looking for a sponsor for the remainder of this season and possibly next. So anybody interested in, in, a, in providing or sponsoring the stand wrap for the toilet's opposite stand at Dulwich Hamlet, right. get in contact with the club. Okay. And it's certainly a, it's a winning combination, your name and toilet's opposite. Exactly. You become part of the, the, the cult history of the toilet's opposite stand. That's right. Okay. Right, I'll get on the phone to Russia today. Do it. Yeah, Russian money. Yeah, it's fine. Super. 
in the Copa Libertadores, the finalists are now confirmed after Gremio. They, uh, their appeal was dismissed. Frivolous, and, frivolous appeal. So we're going to have a Super Classico, and Sasha, you are very excited about this. Love it. I think it's going to be an absolute extraordinary event, uh, possibly the biggest club matches in the history of club football ever in the history of the world. Make that universe. case then, why? I think the passion of the atmosphere around. So this is Boca Juniors. Boca Juniors against River Plate. Yeah, uh, it's very much you know the working class team against the middle class team. It's very much a rivalry that's been it's been around for decades and decades. They seem to play each other in friendlies as much as they play each other in the um, official games. It's the story around the manager. So Guillermo Barros he's the manager of uh, Boca Juniors, a legend there. Ten years um, in which he won four Copa Libertadores, won several titles, and again this came under the presidentship of one. Mauricio, I think it's Mauricio Macri, who is currently the president of Argentina, overlooking mm. a tanking economy, peso they just halved in the course of this year. But he was the president of uh, Boca Juniors between 1995 and 2008. And in that period, they basically came into their own again and won four Copa Libertadores, uh, which is an absolute extraordinary achievement, which is something that River Plate haven't really had in the history. They're a bit of a Juventus. So big club, but they only had two Libertadores wins be- before 2015. What happens in 2015? Last 16, Boca Juniors meet River Plate, return leg halftime. And from what I remember correctly, Boca Ultras managed to tear gas River Plate players in the tunnel. After which, obviously, Boca were chucked out. And um, uh, River went on to win Libertadores uh, for the third time in their history. I think it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. Obviously, they rotate massively for the league. I mean, if you look at the weekend's games, Boca beat Tigre 4-1, but I think only the keeper kept his place. River went and lost to Diantes, uh, and they only kept, I think, one of the forwards on. And so they, all the focus is on the on this game. Um, well, so there's two games. So it's the tenth, Saturday the 10th, and then two weeks after It's the 24th. And this is the last time that Libertadores exactly. is a two-legged yeah. affair. It was an interesting statement as well from the Boca, from current Boca president. Uh, he, immediately after it was announced, he's, he said, well, this is, uh, this is a bit unfair for our Jewish fans because it's been held on the Shabbat. And my reaction to this was... Well, haven't you been playing on Saturdays all this time throughout your history? So I was a bit confused by that. Maybe mm. just cheap publicity. Um, Is the, the River Plate manager Gallardo? Gallardo there. What a player he was. Oh, he was, he was great. But there's actually a great clip as well uh, in the internet of uh, Guillermo Barros-Kilota nailing Gallardo in one of the games. <laughs> it's like one of his top 10 moments. I think what might be decisive in this encounters is um, a couple of super subs. So there's Quintero. Uh, for River Plate, you remember him from the World Cup. And there is uh, a guy called Benedetto uh, who came on as a sub in both uh, games against Palmeiras and scored two uh, efforts from outside the box. The first, the one at the um, Bombonera was absolutely lovely. Took a lovely drag back and finished off. And the keepers. So the massive issues with keepers at Boca Juniors. Uh, so they have this guy called Rossi. He's back in goal now. They were going to replace him in the summer. Uh, signed the goalkeeper who broke his jaw uh, in that incident. Um, you remember when a, defend- when a defender headbutted the goalkeeper? Um, when they put, I think they were playing Cruzeiro. Uh, so right. he finished. He finished the game. Turned out he has a broken jaw, so he's he's now out. So it's back down to Rossi. Whereas um, on the other side, you have Armani in goal for River Plate, who's considered to be currently the best keeper in Argentina. Mm-hmm. So I think it could go down to those two guys. And at the Bombonera, isn't it? Don't don't the fans aren't they famous for weeing over the from the uh, the upper tier to the to the lower tier? So they put the away fans on the lower tier, and and the Boca fans just wee on them. That is the first piece of information I ever read on the derby. Oh, really? Yeah. That was the first thing I ever learned about it when I when I was younger. Mm. <laughs> Peace. I, I went I, w- I went to a derby yeah. recently. Um, well, recently three years ago, derby the derby a clásico de Avellaneda, which is um, Racing against Independiente, and they had no away fans in that game either. Uh-huh. However, 
uh, a few directors turned up in the sort of box in the back. So in the first half, they had the temerity to sort of spill over into this empty section and shout a couple of rude things about Racing. At which stage, three Burley guys came up to them and basically made all these gestures. And I was like, okay, what's going to happen here? Because our press box was right next to this empty section. So at halftime, um, yeah, 20 guys sort of charged over our heads, uh, ripped out a few tables, lobbed them over the fence, and then disappeared off again. Uh, well, but a dozen right police just stood there and just told them to go away. It was almost a little bit pantomime, but they had to sort of make a statement that you cannot come out into the stand in our right. stadium and abuse us. I see. So it's a crazy old place. Crikey. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, let's talk about Ameriki, uh, where the, the MLS have reached the conference semi-finals. First legs have already taken place. Of course, they don't feature Wayne Rooney and his DC United lot. They they lost out in the previous game to Columbus Crew, who are uh, they, they did a win against New York Red Bulls. And oh, there's all sorts of stuff in this, and it's very exciting. The best way to be across it is by listening to Totally Football Show's American edition with Kobe Jones. If you haven't heard it yet, here they are talking about penalty shootouts. Kobe, what's it like to take a penalty in a shootout? It's easy. Just step up and kick it. Oh, <laughs> no, it's difficult. There's obviously a lot of pressure when you're talking about playoffs um, because you know all eyes are on you. And, and I think it's really how you are able to transfer from the game to those minutes in between, if you can still stay in the game in the moment, that is important because you ask all the players out there and Seth can tell you, there's times when you're playing a game and you just don't even hear the crowd and you're just into it. And it doesn't matter. It's just like, okay, I can take it. But if you have too much downtime and then you start thinking about, oh my gosh, everybody's watching. Oh my gosh, what does this mean? Oh, I got to make this long walk. Then that's what can throw you off. But you know what else? There is a lot of players that did like that short. The, yeah, that's that short. Yeah. yeah. I've never seen that, but it seems like a lot of players have been doing that lately. Yeah. I think if you look at De Leon's posture before he took the kick, he's straight mm-hmm. up. He doesn't, I mean, you can almost see it happening and then leaning back too much, obviously, it goes over. We also, of course, have a totally Scottish football show on how exciting the SPL is looking now with just a single point between Hearts at the top and Celtic in second place after they beat the Jam Tarts 5 0 this weekend. It's their seventh straight domestic win. And of course, second time they've tonked hearts in a week because they did them 3-0 in the League Cup previous weekend. Celtic are at home to RB Leipzig on Thursday and again. They must win if they want to progress in the Europa League. Of course they want to progress. Rangers, meanwhile, have moved up to third. They beat uh, St Mirren 2-0. It was very windy. Somebody threw a coin again, although maybe it was just the gale force winds ripped the coinage from their hands. That's all the talk in Scottish football at the moment. It was Morales from Rangers who got pelted with one. Neil Lennon uh, was a recent victim. Mm-hmm. There's been violence against a goalkeeper and a linesman as well. Uh, and there's not much being done about it, which Gerard and much of the league have come out and said there needs to be greater action because if it's happening so often, it just becomes part and parcel of the game maybe if the fans just want to throw money onto the pitch they should do a rule where they can only uh throw the pound notes as little paper airplanes maybe similar effect you can maybe hurt someone's eye but it's probably less less harmful generally than the coin we got called out for making light or not taking this seriously enough last week benji so i'd have to ask you to to take your ironic suggestions plus it's impractical if it's gale force wins exactly oh that's true 
No telling where that money could end up. Anyway, there's more proper talk about Scottish football in the Totally Scottish Football Show, which will be with you Monday night, Tuesday morning, with Andrew Slaven. Well, in a second or two, we'll address any other questions. and There have been one or two interesting ones from listeners. But first, let's get some odds on midweek European action and more, courtesy of Paddy Power, in conversation with producer Ben. Thanks, Jim Boats. Lee Price from Paddy Power on the line, all the way from Australia. Lee, let's talk about the Champions League, please. Spurs have a must-win, very must-win game against PSV at Wembley. Can they must-win this? <laughs> they really need to, don't they, if they're to progress in Europe this season, even that is in the dreaded Europa League. Uh, but we do think they will win. Their odds on at 4-11. to 11. PSV are a massive 7-1 to one to win this one, and the draw is pretty chunky too at 4-1. to one. It's not quite as dire for Man U, but they do have a very tricky game against Juventus. What are the odds on this one? Yeah, more likely than PSV sees odds at Tottenham for United, but still not favourable. Manchester United, the most successful team in the Premier League era, three times Champions of Europe, are 5-1 to to win a game of football. That's pretty crazy. Uh, Juventus are 8-15, and rightly so. The draw is 3-1. to Okay, we've talked about PSV. Let's talk about PSG. 12 wins in a row in Ligue 1. Could they go the entire season in France without losing? Well, we think they are. I mean, it's a massive uh, achievement, obviously, but the price is very short. It's just 11-8 to 8 that they're invincible in Ligue 1. And to put that into perspective, Juve are 9-1 to 1 to do that in Serie A, Man City 10-1 to 1 in the Premier League, and Dortmund 25-1 to 1 in the Bundesliga. Well, someone who's not going to go the rest of the season undefeated is West Ham. We've had Benji in the studio today talking uh, a little bit about their renaissance, but, uh, urging caution. Um, but can they finish in the top half? Had a great result against Burnley over the weekend. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely back that caution. Um, after the big six, we're odds on for the following teams finishing the top 10. That's Everton, Wolves, Bournemouth, Leicester and Watford in that order. So that's 11 teams, you'll notice, uh, with West Ham next best in our betting at 9-5. to five. So I guess that means we think they finished 12th. Sorry, Hammers fans. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org and when the fun stops, stop. Mike Moore, you and about a billion other people writing in this week to say, what was wrong with planes, trains and automobiles? Benji, you'd like to know as well, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think you've made a, a poor call there, Jimbo. Have I? What I need to do is go back and, and re-watch PTA, as listeners call it, because I can't remember why it upset me so much. Possibly I'm thinking of another movie entirely. What we could do, and I don't know if this sounds like we're crossing a line onto another totally different kind of podcast what we could do is all rewatch it and say in a week's time on a thursday just kind of come back together and compare notes i'll definitely it's it's going to be a busy week this but i reckon in a week's time i'll have watched pta again sorry isn't it a traditional christmas movie uh, i think it's home alone more okay of the, of the john candy oeuvre okay speaking of home alone has everyone seen that Mohammed Salah statue that was unveiled in Egypt, which looks like Ma from Home Alone. Oh, doesn't it? It's, it's worse than the Ronaldo bust, and, and I mean, that takes some doing. Is, is he the one with the big hair? Daniel Stern, I want to say. To be fair, it's excellent timing because, you know, the Christmas sp- spirit is building up, so accurate from, from Egypt there. Melissa, there's a question here for you as well. Adam Jones says, can you ask Melissa Reddy how Sunday's supplement was and do people eat pastries during the adverts? The pastries are real, but I didn't eat any. I don't think many eat any because you have to get there really early and Sky's campus is on the other end of of the universe. I had to be there before eight 
And at that time, you're not thinking about having a massive chocolate muffin or, or a croissant. What or, time of day or, or do you I'm, think about that? Or I'm not anyway. Okay. Uh, so I just treated myself to fruit. One of our totally friends has definitely been on the show and tried the uh, pastries in the advert break and revealed them to be very stale, which is, Ooh. you know. So that, yeah, they might have just been there for a long time. Sasha, you want to say something still? My hero of the weekend. Yes. 14-year-old striker for Cerro Porteño in Paraguay. Fernando Ovelar, who played his second professional match at the weekend in the Paraguayan Superclásico against Olimpia Asuncion, and he got an o- the opening goal, which is an absolutely lovely finish as he went through. He's 14 years old. Stop. In the g- biggest game in Paraguay at the Estadio Defensores del Chaco, biggest stage. Needless to say, the game ended an absolute farce in the 105th minute um, after two injury time goals. Uh, but it's just, I mean, where do you go after that? 14. How, how 14. soon do we see him uh, whistle his career away at some big giant? Uh, I, I just At the moment, I'm just thinking, just baffling, like this kid. I mean, he's only played 59 minutes in the first two games. Uh-huh. So I'm, maybe there's a rule that you can't actually play more oh, yeah, if, if you're a child. Is he very big? Have you seen him? Uh, he looks like your average height. Maybe he's one of the bit small guys that, uh, yeah. that uh, Denji was talking about. But what, what scenes? And one what, th- That name again? Uh, his name is Fernando Ovelar. Okay. And if I can say something about Defensores del Chaco, it's Please. a war that Paraguay won against Bolivia where they were helped by approximately 100 Russian officers. There you go. Wow. On that thoughtful note, that's where we'll wrap up this edition of the Totally Football Show, a show that returns on Thursday with Tom Williams, Pat Nevin and Controversy's James Horncastle. Pat Nevin, by the way, has been nominated for a FSF award which you can vote for now if you go to the Survey Monkey page, which has got the voting things there. You can also vote for us or whichever podcast you most prefer or which your favourite player and all that kind of stuff. So make sure you do that, eh, listener? Thanks ever so much, Sasha, Melissa and you, Benji. Best luck to all. See you on Thursday, listener. Have a great time. Till then. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And make sure you check out our other football podcasts, the revamped Totally Football League show with Caroline Barker and the brand new Totally Scottish Football Show. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.